Meet me on the softer side. Meet me on the softer side. Softer side of your heart. Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com, where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. From what you claimed was your favorite book of all time. The list of acceptable writers to bring up included T.S. Eliot, Faulkner, Woody Allen's humor pieces and movies, Robert Benchley, Dorothy Parker, Zelda Fitzgerald, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Keats, James Joyce, Yeats, Wordsworth, Marcel Proust, Joseph Conrad, H.L. Mencken, Norman Mailer, Murray Kempton, Edmund Wilson, Ring Lardner, Henry James, Shakespeare, Evelyn Waugh, I remember repeating Evelyn, Evelyn to myself around the house when I was about 14, <laughs> terrified I'd slip and pronounce it like an American woman's name. D.H. Lawrence, Dos Passos, Nabokov, Chekhov, Twain, and Hemingway, and composers like Leonard Bernstein, Mozart, Cole Porter, and Fats Waller. Contemporary writing was only for people who might live forever. Otherwise, the point was the greats. He was always letting you know, ha ha, who was in charge. You think you can sit around reading what we read? We read Raymond Carver all summer? You got another thing coming, baby. <laughs> he wouldn't let you spend too much time talking about popular writers. If I was really pissed at him, I might mention this amazing John Fonte novel I was halfway through. If I was getting a kick out of the plays of Christopher Durang, he'd say, oh, well, if you're getting serious about farce, you can't beat Oscar Wilde. What about the French? Have you tried Fado? Like most people, I thought E. Cummings was delightful. A poet so playful, he attracts teenagers and college students. But E.E. E. Cummings was too bloody easy. Easy, easy Cummings. <laughs> Frank O'Hara, too easy. There was always someone better, harder to read that he would divert your attention to. Keats or Shelley, for example. Jean Joe, have you given that ring Lardner I gave you a try yet? Lardner's book, Haircut, is a favorite of my father's. My God, is that funny. Not a false note in it. Give it a try. <laughs> The writers you were strongly discouraged from wasting your time on, Toni Morrison, anyone in the category of magical realism, including Gabriel Garcia Marquez and fantastic realism, Italo Calvino, historical fiction, Don DeLillo, white noise was absolute crap, <laughs> Capote, obviously anything inspirational was completely unacceptable. <laughs> Mass market anything, showing up to meet him for lunch with a John Grisham book under your arm would have been like showing up with no pants on. You know, get yourself together for God's sake. Not even disgust, it would be so ludicrous. If I could have calmed down a little, I might have been a reader. But I was not a great, devoted, or thorough reader. I loved family drama like Tennessee Williams, Arthur Miller, adored comic greats like Moliere, Wilde, the essays of Woody Allen. I always wanted to be well read. But I wasn't anywhere near well-read, decently read, fantastically fakeably read, motherfucking lying my, fa my ass off to your face read. <laughs> but it seemed like there was something more fun than books, like actual fun. <laughs> and then this is um, 
from a chapter called Crabs and Rehabs. <laughs> and I came home from SUNY Purchase with a little Christmas present for my family. Um, I'd gotten crabs at college, and, and we were in my mom's new apartment at Christmas. My mother had timed leaving my father, so I could almost hear the curtain coming down on the marriage as I walked off the stage of the Bronxville High School Auditorium with my temporary dummy diploma. When she moved from Bronxville into Manhattan after the divorce, she rented a two-bedroom for five women, which seemed rather short-sighted. We had just come from a five-bedroom house, so we knew something was up. Then mom moved to a one-bedroom and short-sighted met statement. The place was on 87th Street, a half a block from the mayor's mansion in Yorkville. It was called Garson Towers. Residential buildings with names, unless you were talking about the Ansonia or the Apthorpe or somewhere swanky, were depressing to me. They seemed like the kinds of places lonely, defenseless, elderly people got murdered. <laughs> My mother's maiden name was Gissy, and seeing that she seemed to be preparing to audition for any number of Tennessee Williams plays, retelling stories of her privileged youth over and over, we began calling the building Gissy Towers. <laughs> If you were going to spend some people's entire childhoods getting tanked on doers talking about your coming out party at the Fleur de Lis Ball in St. Louis <laughs> and crying about how daddy never said he loved you, well, you were in for some shit, in our opinion. <laughs> but in fact, a Williams character like Blanche Dubois was a sharp-eyed futurist, a trailblazing entrepreneur. She was Buckminster Fuller. Blanche Dubois was Steve Jobs compared to my mother. <laughs> Mom's bedroom door opened and the smell of smoke wafted into the living room, preceding her like applause for an old theater broad's entrance. She entered the kitchen in some ridiculous silken natori number, a robe that screamed, I'm sleeping with my divorce lawyer, to conjure up a cup of coffee for, her, coffee for herself. I straightened myself to make my thoughts disappear, to make my crab-addled mind impossible to read. Morning, I said. I made coffee. Morning, Dolly. Did you use the illy? She said, passing me with her cigarette. My mother was like a bat with her lit cigarettes. She came impossibly close to you. You were convinced you were going to have to drop and roll any second. But somehow she always just missed you. I resisted the impulse to say anything about her cigarette, as we lived in a world since selling our house that was no longer ours, but hers. Yeah, I did. It's delish. It's Italian. Mom glided over and sat at the table. Where's Julia? In the bathroom, I said, sipping guiltily. What are you girls up to today? Christmas shopping, I guess. Well, I'm going out with Mr. Sully tonight, so you girls will have to get some dinners for your, dinner for yourselves. Her divorce lawyer, who was taking her for a huge ride, the kind of ride where someone leads you to believe they will leave their wife for you when the time is right, was Mr. Sully. I'll leave you some money. You can get a pizza or go to Melons and get a burger if you want. Julia came out of the bathroom. Good morning, Julia, Mom said. With her deep voice, she might have been Lauren Bacall greeting Bogey after a wild night. <laughs> Julia mumbled and kept going. Honestly, Mom said, widening her eyes. Chit-chat had never been Julia's bag. My mother was 44. This was when 44 was 44. Before it was the new 34, and 64 was the new 54, and 84 was the new 74, and 24 was the new 14. Even so, she looked fantastic, had some dough in the bank after selling the house, and she might have gone off and done all kinds of things. Opened a bike shop in Costa Rica, started an adoption agency for American gay men in places where communism has fallen, <laughs> waited tables in a pub in Britain's seaside town of Cornwall. But this was back when 44 was the age where women aged, fell apart. Although, according to my father, the decline, as he called it, 
actually started when she was a straight-A student at Manhattanville College, embarking on her maiden breakdown, an event that was interrupted when she married and had four kids. My mother's rehab years began when her four daughters went off to college. It was as if rehabs were her way of going back to college with all of us kids, eating bad food and being homesick. This seemed like a misguided attempt at youth, getting out of the house, enriching the mind. Had my mother not heard of postgraduate work? <laughs> I had gone to the pharmacy the day I got in from purchase and charged a couple of bottles of RID to mom's account, but the apartment was so small there never seemed to be a good time to exterminate myself. My plan was to chemical myself silly at night when everyone had gone to bed. Problem was I kept falling asleep before mom and Julia. To stay up past Julia, one really had to have street drugs of some kind. <laughs> I began monitoring Julia for signs of crab life. I told myself the initial itching I witnessed during my first seven cups of coffee might have been nothing more than the traditional crotch scratching one does as a guest in another's home while people are having breakfast. <laughs> I was disabused of this notion when I caught sight of Julia scratching herself in the elevator and then later when we were Christmas shopping at Orva on 86th Street. The girl had crabs. I had given crabs to my sister. What would Emily Post say? My mind raced to the inevitable thought, had I also given crabs to my mother? While I shivered at this concept, I did get a kick out of realizing that if I had given them to my mother, I'd probably also given them to her sleazy, cheat-faced divorce attorney, which then led me to realize that in all likelihood I'd given crabs to Phil's innocent, benefit-throwing wife and mother of six, who was probably pawing her crotch on a ski lift in Vail, <laughs> while Julia and I shopped for Christmas presents. I was trying not to scratch in front of Julia. If, I ha if she had gotten them, I didn't want her to know from whom. I'm going home to take a shower. I'm totally grimy and itchy, she said. <laughs> After mom split that night, Julie and I ordered in burritos and called Video Room, mom's video place on 3rd Avenue, that delivered as well as picked up your videos. Despite this free service, we never managed to get a single video back on time. <laughs> Delivery was an important feature of our new post-suburban lives. Delivery in 24-hour Korean delis. We thought these urban amenities were symbols of Manhattan. They represented the new mom, and by default, the new us. We were city people now, kids of divorce, and as such, we didn't cook. We ordered in or went out. When the video room guy buzzed, I begged Julia to get the door, because this guy, they always sent this guy from Purchase, who worked there on school breaks, who had a crush on me. But Julia had a sort of no-bullshitting policy that forbade her to, for, to fake anything. She thought you should just be completely forthright all the time. Anything else was phony. The burritos were good. We had seen the movie before, the butter meets girl romantic comedy, Last Tango in Paris. And it held up as a pleasant way to pass an evening. While we were eating and watching the movie, I periodically asked Julia to pass the butter. She fell for it the first time. In Last Tango in Paris, Marlon Brando forbids his young French lover to tell him her name. Not her last name, like in an AA kind of way, but her first name. The thing is a steam fest, not the kind of movie best savored with your sullen monosyllabic sister. I polished off my burrito, dra drained my Corona with lime, fluffed my pillow against the bed, itched my rowdy pubes as discreetly as I could manage, with Julia sitting a foot away from me in a pastel chintz chair that looked like Baskin Robbins had gotten into the upholstery business, and settled in for some fat old man fucking hot young girl fuck fest. <laughs> At one point, the French girl, no character names, is stroking Brando's chest. Goodbye. <laughs> Tucky in a little. Um, 
as he pretends to be the wolf in Little Red Riding Hood. She says, oh, the lot of fur you have. And he replies, the better for you to hide your crabs in. I coughed as loudly as I could as I heard this, hoping a loud, distracting sound going in Julia's earlobes would prevent the word crabs from entering her ear. Julia itched her crotch, but there was something new in her itching, a sense of her hand being connected to her brain. I tried to douse this hand-mind connection in quick by lighting one of Mom's true blue cigarettes and blowing smoke around madly. Julia looked right at me. What the fuck? <laughs> what, what, what the fuck? You gave me crabs. <laughs> Julia had been developing some kind of paranoid personality disorder over the last few years, but mathematically, paranoics will hit the truth every few hundred accusations. <laughs> I gave you what? I have been trying to figure out how I got these things, but I should have known. It's you, isn't it? Look, Jules, I like you, but we never fucked. I'm gonna fucking kill you. Julia got up and went into the bathroom. The bathroom light flicked on and she was cursing stream of consciousness style. I puffed on my true blue and knew that Christmas was ruined by someone other than my mother for a change. There was little point in trying to calm Julia once she had gone bananas. I blew a couple smoke rings and thought about how there wasn't all that much smoking in tango for a film shot in Paris. I thought the scene in the bathroom where he says he wants her to fuck a pig and then have the pig vomit uh, in her face and, <laughs> and her eat it might be coming up. You're going to miss the part with the dying farts of the pig, Jules. Julia, I yelled. Get in here, she screamed from the bathroom. Oh my God, she screamed. Bugs, look at them. Come here, Jeannie. <laughs> I took a drag of my cigarette and went into the bathroom. I tossed the cigarette in the toilet. She placed a pube on the edge of the sink. Look at it. She yanked our mother's magnifying mirror, which was attached to the wall downward, and held it over the pube. Look at it! Yeah, yeah, pubic lice, pubic louse, real nasty fuckers. You're a real dick, Jeannie. I thought I'd gotten rid of them. I used rid like seven times before I left purchase. I had sex with Mark last night, Jeannie. I probably gave him these things. I know, and tonight he's probably giving them to someone else. I'm, so I'm sorry, Jules. I, I gave them to Martin, if that makes you feel any better. Where'd you get them? Maggie, she's sort of the root carrier here, the typhoid Mary of crabs. I busted out my rid like champagne on a ski trip, and we lathered ourselves up. I checked the clock in the kitchen to time 10 minutes, and went back to mom's bedroom where Julia stood in a gray NYU t-shirt with her crotch all soapy with chemicals. When I walked in, she angrily lit one of mom's cigarettes and smoked without acknowledging me. For the next 10 minutes, we stood half naked in mom's bedroom, finally getting to the scene where the really lo very lovely French girl sticks two fingers up Brando's ass. An ass I couldn't help but feel might accommodate more than just two digits. <laughs> While she says she will fuck pigs for him and smell their pig farts. I finally understood what all the film majors at Purchase meant when they touted European filmmakers' higher aesthetic and artistic sensibility. <laughs> At 9.44, I announced our 10 minutes were up. The woman I had spoken with at the, earlier at the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta had said that unhatched eggs can hatch seven to 10 days after the actual crab is killed. I probably needed to do the rid treatment again since the whole life cycle had started over now that Julia had them. I had now ruined two relationships on account of these wingless bloodsuckers. As I threw the towel in the hamper, I realized it was not one of my towels from school. It was one of my mother's. And I realized I'd used it the day before as well. Big whoops. I grabbed all the towels and threw them in the hamper, vowing to get up early the next day and do laundry. I didn't even want to think about what mom would say if she got wind of this whole crab thing. 
not to mention if we actually gave them to her. I could practically hear her calling Aunt Carol in St. Louis at two in the morning. She would start off crying about the divorce she wanted, which was now a reality. My mom dumped my dad and then wanted people to feel sorry for her. A sort of a look what I've done to me kind of logic that few people appreciated. Then she'd move on to how her sister Ruth was mean to her on the horse circuit, how there was never enough money, how she was no longer 21, how no one helped her with her housework, how she had had to listen to my father talk about F. Scott Fitzgerald for 20 years. And now the girls have given me crabs, Carol. I mean, honestly. <laughs> the next night, as Julie and I were going to sleep, she said, I'm itching like crazy, pawing at the crotch of her charcoal wool skirt. I started taking the pillows off the pull-out couch. Yeah, well, maybe that stuff wasn't fresh. I mean, that pharmacy's kind of for old people. They probably don't get crabs too much. The medicine was probably expired. We'll sleep on the floor tonight. She lit a cigarette as if she had just come up with a diabolical plan that couldn't be more airtight. <laughs> she sat in the big pastel-striped chair, smoking. Julia was a person who fanned her own cigarette, as if someone else's smoking were bothering her. <laughs> she alternately puffed and fanned in an exasperated manner. Jesus Christ, awful, she said. I watched her smoker and non-smoker battle it out for a minute and wondered whether any Darst had been diagnosed as having a split personality. What, I said, reaching for mom's cigarettes on the coffee table. True Blue was a smoke you endured only if you were out of cigs or too drunk to care. I tore the plastic cylindrical filter off, making it a little less like smoking some old lady's vagina. What are you talking about? I blew a couple smoke rings, a skill I wished at that moment were somehow in demand, as I didn't know what else I was good at or what I would do once college was over. We still got these things, Jeannie, don't you see that? Sleeping on the pullout, that's just going to keep infestating the pullout. And then what the fuck are we going to do? I considered the word infestating. It didn't sound right. But you couldn't bring these matters up with Julia. She was too volatile for grammar talk. She'd get up and do something bonkers like grab scissors and give you bangs in the back of your head. We'll get something stronger tomorrow, but until then, we're not infestating the pullout. Okay, fine, I put out my cigarette. There was a plushy carpet to sleep on, so it could have been worse. I got the pillows, the blankets, and the comforts out of the hall closet, resigned to slave mode for the remainder of Christmas break. We got in our little homemade beds on the floor and said nothing. Mom's room was now quiet as well. All through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a dual diagnosis, dual diagnosis depressive alcoholic. But nighttime was the busy time for the buggers living in my crotch. The next morning, Mom came out and found us in two rectangular piles on her living room floor. What are you girls doing, she said. She stood over me, a cigarette in one hand and a coffee in the other. Trying to sleep, Julia snapped from under the covers. I rustled my feet out from under the little blanket trap they were in. I can see that. Why are you on the floor? Did you girls break my pullout? That's a very expensive couch I'll have you know. Jeannie has crabs, and she gave them to me. <laughs> Came from under Julia's pile across the room. What? Mom said, pulling on her cigarette. Nothing, nothing. She's kidding, I said. I threw one of my heels at Julia. What did she say? Mom asked. Nothing. She's kidding around. So why are you girls on the floor? I thought you said the pullout was very comfortable. It is. We were just too drunk to pull it out last night. No, we weren't. Julia pushed the blankets off herself abruptly and sat up. Jeannie got crabs and gave them to me. Oh, for God's sakes, Jeannie, you've got lice? Yeah, but they're in our pubes, Julia said. <laughs> this 
is what you get for going to a state school, Jeannie. <laughs> Why you couldn't get in somewhere decent, I'll never understand. You're so bright. Mom, I didn't get them at purchase. Maggie gave them to me over Thanksgiving. Honestly, Mom said, going into the kitchen. I glared at Julia. Thanks a lot. No, thank you, fucking carrier. <laughs> Doris came in back into the room. Now, who wants some coffee? It's Gavalia. It's Swiss. Thank you. Let's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> How do you segue out of the no, crabs? That was, that was great. That was great. Um, uh, let's ask uh, some questions of our author. I'm curious about something. So... You can kick it off. Did you workshop this in a class? Did you... Did you... Um, no, as you can tell, I don't believe in school. Um, uh, did I workshop it? No, I didn't. I didn't. Um, I, I, I think I took one class um, when, I when I just had my son, just to be around people, and, but um, I wouldn't consider that workshop as a very short, brief thing, but no. No, I, I, there's, a, there's a place in Vermont, a barn in Vermont, it's true, um, where um, I sometimes bring plays and things like that, and I, and I brought this here. And actually, when I, I did read the crab story, which is very long, it's supposed to be a long story because it was a long thing, and that's sort of part of the funny thing about it. But when I read it in this small town in Vermont, but there's lots of really interesting people there, and there's this place where I do theater and make plays, and everybody came up to me after I read and told me their little crab story. <laughs> This French guy came up, he's like, I gave my mother crabs during World War II, you know. And I was like, hmm, okay, you know. So that was, I guess, the only time I've really, and I've never read this, you know. They don't let me read that on This American Life. So. Any questions out there? questions? Moses? No. People don't like questions. Elsa? Elsa? Yeah. No. Okay. They've all responded in their own way. <laughs> They're, my sister, we're all really different and they've just stayed, you know, it's like when you get a character breakdown, uh -huh. you know, that's like what I got. Like, oh, this sister says this. My sister who lives in Connecticut, um, uh, she, she and her they're just really funny. Her husband's like allergic to literature, so he sort of read the parts that were about them because he's a lawyer. So he wants to, that's what he wants to do, <laughs> legally go over the book. And but then I sent it to her, and she called me like the next day. She's she's in the book. You'll see that she's this person who hates to read, and that's her big f you to my dad. That's like the worst. You know, she'll just. She hates to read and she makes no bones about it and doesn't read anything she, unless she has to. So when I sent it to her, she said, um, oh yeah, you know, I read your book, it's great, it's great. And I said, wow, you read it in like a day. She said, yeah, well, you know, I got it. And um, I read it while I was helping the boys with their homework. And, and then, you know, I read it while I was making the boys dinner. And you know, it's not the kind of book you can't read while you're doing other things. And I was like, 
Right, because every other week somebody's sending you a book about our family. So why wouldn't you do other things while you're, why don't you on like the exercise, why don't you go like walk to work and read it? Who cares if you miss some things? It's just, it's just you in there, you know, it's just, so that's like really interesting. And then um, another one of my sisters who is a big reader is, you know, and the book is, is dedicated to her. She's a, very neat. She had, you know, this is kind of a little too close. Um, loves the book and so and, you know it's like everybody has their own reaction yeah my mom died um i think it was four and a half years ago yeah so um and my dad is still around and he's in brooklyn and he's um he's a total character yeah you know hmm? he um really likes the book he also felt he had some really funny responses you know one of the responses was um that he sort of felt that maybe he wasn't portrayed as somebody who, my mom died of alcoholism and he, you know, he never ever ever said that word. I mean, he, I remember him saying to me, your mother's not an alcoholic, she just thinks every night's New Year's Eve, you know. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. Like, I'll tell the kids at school that when she's sleeping on a cot on the front lawn, you know. Um, so, and then, so he wanted, he, God damn it, I tried to get mom help. He wanted, you know, tried to do his duty and he called me up after he read the book and he said, yeah, God damn it, I did try to get mom help for her, for her thing, you know, still won't say the word for that, that depression, you know. Um, when we moved to Bronxville, I called uh, Eloise Spaeth, who's this very fancy art collector that my parents were friends with, called Eloise Spaeth and I asked her for a, a recommendation. She gave me the number of a very good therapist, a very good psychiatrist, Dr. H uh, Dr. Hiffenlooper. Uh, <laughs> It was Marilyn Monroe's psychiatrist, a terrific psychiatrist. I was like, Dad, that didn't work out so good for Marilyn Monroe. Like, but he thought that was absolutely the most legitimate response to like he tried to get my mom's help. He tried to get Marilyn Monroe's psychiatrist for her. You know. And then he also wanted when he when he differed from certain things the way that I portray them in the book, he thought a nifty way to sort of remedy our differences would if would be if maybe in ITAL we put in his thoughts. <laughs> so it would go something like this, like I would tell a story and then in ITAL it would be like Dad here. That's not the way I saw it at all. The way I saw it was, and then uh, you know, da 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 da. And I was like listening on the phone, like whoa, it's, whoa, you know. And um, and then of course I had to acknowledge that that's a brilliant idea, and that's a really great idea. It's not this book. I would get in so much trouble. I was like, well, I <laughs> can't call my publisher and ask them to do that, Dad. You know. Second edition. Exactly, like paperback. But he really thought he should have like his say in here. It makes sense, you know. Brilliant. Mm -hmm. It is really funny. I mean, he's you know. Other question over here. Did he ever make any progress on Zelda Fitzgerald? He's not writing a biography of Zelda Fitzgerald so much. Um, he's he is writing a book about the Fitzgerald, and he is obsessed with an, an abortion that Zelda Fitzgerald had at the Plaza Hotel in 1922, and. Um, it's pretty unsavory holiday talk, you know, at the at the dinner table. But he doesn't think that at all. He thinks he's talking about literary history, and it's like, well, on the other hand, they're kids and little kids running around. Um, so um, he's still working on it. He's been working on it for years and years and years. Yeah. So. Yes, he's very happy. Yes, he he is, and he also has, you know, he's got his stuff. He yeah, he wouldn't be. 
you know, who he is, unless he was a complete pain in the ass. So that's probably the short, short answer there. You, you think they acknowledge Alexander Chi? Yeah. Terrific. Oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, that that actually, um, yes. So there, that is a little bit of a, just a, a writing teacher of mine who would read early drafts. Um, he's a he's a great writer. Yeah, he's really really cool. Good friend. Yeah. Are you mentally preparing yourself for when your son grows up and writes a book about Yeah, I thought. I swear to God, I thought you were going to ask me if I was if I was mentally ill. Um, like, are you mentally ill? Like, probably. Um, yeah, and actually, that's funny because when um, when my father would say things about like, oh, you know, it's tough to have a book that is written about you. It's it's it's, it's a tough sort of thing. And I we're on the phone, and he also has a great sense of humor. And I said, Dad. You know, come on. How many of your friends, kids, took the time to not only write, but get published a memoir that tears them apart? <laughs> Hereford, you know, cousin, none of those guys. So, um, yeah, am I prepared? Yeah, and I do. I think it's, yes, sure. He'll tear me apart in, in one way or another. Hopefully I'll be a very good sport about it. Big question. Sure. You have been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.